When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. I'm Nicole Lappin, the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. It's time for some money rehab. Since 2022, I think we've all had a what's the next curveball attitude. Globally, we've all had major challenges thrown our way since the outset of the pandemic. And all of these challenges have affected our finances, often for the worst. I know this all sounds a little doom and gloom, but my guest today has an outlook that a little doom isn't the worst thing. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Noriel Rabini, who is a rock star in the finance community and is debatably the most famous and well-respected economist of our time. And he has a resume to match. He is Professor Emeritus and Professor of Economics at Stern School of Business at NYU. In the late 90s, he served as the Senior Economist for International Affairs on the White House Council of Economic Affairs. And the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank are among other prestigious institutions that draw on his consulting experience. He was given the nickname Dr. Doom after voicing his concerns on the housing market, right before the housing crash in 2008. So as it turns out, he wasn't fear-mongering. He was just paying attention. While he doesn't like the nickname, I think he'd also argue that a little dose of doom isn't all that bad, so long as you're not actually resigning yourself to doomsday and instead looking realistically at difficult outcomes in order to prepare for and survive them. Today, he tells us what he sees as the major challenges facing the economy and the best strategies for navigating them. Dr. Noriel Rabini, welcome to Money Rehab. Great being with you, Nicole, today. So you are known as Dr. Doom. Uh, I know you don't like this moniker, but for those who aren't familiar with your work, how did you get that nickname? Well, I got this nickname because I was one of the very few economists or even people in the markets who predicted the global financial crisis that started in 2006 and seven. There was a New York Times magazine feature of me in August of 2008 titled uh, Dr. Doom, and that's where maybe it became a household name. Before that, uh, I was known in academia, in policy, and Wall Street. But even today, people see me in the streets and they say, are you Dr. Doom? They don't even say, are you Nui Rubini? So it's stuck. I say I'm Dr. Realist uh, rather than Dr. Doom, but of course, uh, Dr. Doom is more catchy. I do think that realist makes sense for this new book that you just came out with, Mega Threats. The subtitle is 10 Dangerous Trends That Imperil Our Future, which is doomy and scary, but also how to survive them, which seems optimistic. So for our listeners who haven't read your book just yet, can you talk about some of the motivation behind writing this book and some of the major threats you see to our financial lives right now? Yeah, I'm sure that most of your audience is a bit younger than me. 
Uh, I was born in 58 in the Middle East and then ended up in Europe and grew up between the 50s, 60s and 70s and 80s until 83 when I came to US for grad school. But also your accent is so interesting, right? Didn't you go from Iran to Israel and Italy? Like it's a whole- yeah, Turkey to Iran to Israel to Italy. But most of you are much younger. But when I was growing up, for example, I never worried about the risk of war among great powers and of a nuclear war. Because, you know, in the 70s, Nixon went to China. There was the detente between US and Soviet Union. And the risk of war that was already low became uh, minuscule. While today we are having China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Pakistan, the revisionist powers that challenge what the U.S. and the West does. Secondly, when I was growing up, uh, I never worried about climate change. When I grew up, I never heard about global pandemics. So this is a world in which I grew up. And today we have to worry about war among great powers and the nuclear winter, about the destruction of the planet through climate change, severe pandemics, deglobalization, backlash against liberal democracy, economic crisis, financial crisis, debt crisis, aging crisis, and so on and so on. So it's a very different world that looks much more dangerous and with lots of mega threats that did not even exist. Okay, so I uh, am officially depressed. It sounds like you went from worrying about nothing to worrying about everything. So let's try to shift gears from imagining the future and the apocalypse to protecting ourselves from it, shall we? In your book, you talk about an investment strategy for a changing volatile world. Can you talk us through how to protect ourselves? Yeah, traditionally, the investment advice is 60-40. Put 60 in equities and 40 in safer bonds or 70-30, depending on how risky averse you are. But that assumes that the correlation between the price of bonds and the price of equities is negative. Risk on, risk off, growth recession. When equity goes down, price of bond goes up, yields are falling, you make money in your bonds. When equities go up, maybe bond prices are falling, yields are going higher. But that assumes that you have low inflation. When inflation is low but rising, like this past year, you lose money on your equities because the discount factor for those dividends is the long-term interest rate is rising, say from 1% to 4 for 10-year treasuries. So you lose money at bit on the S&P, but you lose also money on your bonds because there is an inverse relation between the price of the bonds and the yield. When the yield is higher, the price is lower, so you lost money. So the idea that bonds are safe is not true because the price falls and you can lose more money like this year on bonds than you did on equities. So this year, there was nowhere to hide. Public equities were down. Private equity was down. Growth, tech, VC, startups were down even more because they're long-duration assets. They're more sensitive to rising interest rates than traditional firms. REITs that are real estate investment trusts were down. Even cash gave you zero nominal return. In real term, gave you minus 10 because the inflation was 10. So... Traditional investment doesn't work in a world in which you have inflation, the basement of fiat currency, social political risk, geopolitical and environmental. So what can you do to protect yourself? One, you can hold the short-term treasuries, one month bills rather than 10 years. As the yield goes higher, you make money on the yield, but you don't have the price action downward of long duration bonds. Two tips, inflation index bonds. 
that if inflation is higher than expected, are going to do well. Three, gold. Gold does well when you have inflation, the basement of fiat currency, financial crisis, where the money in the bank is not safe, you want to keep gold. When there is social political turmoil, like civil war, violence, strife, instability, people want gold. And geopolitically, if the Chinese, like the Russian and the Iranian and the North Korean, are going to have their dollar assets seized, they have to get rid of them. What's the only global reserve asset cannot be seized is gold, as long as in a vault, not in New York, but in Beijing or Moscow. So gold and precious metal should do well in this world. It's a hedge against inflation, financial crisis, and geopolitical and political risk. And finally, real estate does well when there is moderately rising inflation because it's in fixed supply, unless the Fed is tightening interest rates a lot like they did this year. The only problem with real estate is lots of real estate assets are going to be stranded because of climate change, flooding, sea level rises, hurricanes, drought, wildfires, and you name it. So you have to invest into the types of real estate assets that are in part of North America that are not going to be damaged by climate change, essentially Midwest into Canada, because a lot of the U.S., is going to have lots of stranded real estate. So this combination of assets is the assets for the world where the great moderation is over and the great stagflationary debt instability is upon us. So this connection between climate change and the economy, can you link it for us? Because oftentimes they're siloed in the way that people talk about them. Well, climate change is going to cause increasing economic damage, first of all. If you're going to have uh, stranded assets that are real estate assets or energy assets as we move from fossil fuels to renewables and uh, financial firms and banks and others have lots of those real estate or energy or other assets. That's why the Fed asked them to do stress tests. So it has an economic and financial impact, of course, the damage economic and financially of climate change, but vice versa, if we deal with climate change, and we want to reduce the amount of global warming, there's an economic cost. Today, with current technology, we cannot reduce emissions to zero without having negative economic growth. So mitigation with current technology doesn't work. Adaptation, that means uh, build the walls and dams so that the damage from climate change, rising temperature is not there, is very costly. The plan to build some levees around Manhattan so that storm surges and sea level rising doesn't cause the damage that was caused by Hurricane Sandy. It's a $125 billion plan. It's going to take 20 years. You don't even know whether it's going to work. And that's one city. 40% of the global population lives near coastal areas. So it's usually expensive. And we have even green inflation, meaning the green metals like cobalt, copper, zinc and others that are needed to have electric vehicles or electric batteries and you name it they're becoming more expensive because they use a lot of energy and if the price of fossil fuels is high then you have green inflation of the green metals so those are some of the challenges of addressing for example climate change in terms of economic costs what do you think is one impactful thing individuals can do to combat climate change well, individually, we can all try to reduce our own uh, carbon footprint by using reusable bags 
and things of that sort when we go to the supermarket. So that small and big things, we should have solar panels in our homes. But now climate change is a national and global phenomenon. An individual can do this much, but you have to give the incentive to move away from fossil fuels to renewables. And unfortunately, the study suggests that if you want to achieve the Paris targets of 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial, the average carbon tax should be $200 per ton. Today, the average carbon tax globally is $2 per ton. Which government is going to increase it from 2 to 200? No one. If anything, now that you have a rise in gasoline prices, heating fuel prices, everybody and every country is cutting the fuel taxes and the carbon taxes to avoid the squeeze of inflation on the income. So we're doing the opposite of what a transition to a more green energy system requires rather than doing the right thing. Hold on to your wallets. Money Rehab will be right back. Money Rehabbers, you have money hidden in your house. Yeah, just hiding there in plain sight. Okay, so I don't mean you have gold bars hidden somewhere in walls, treasure map style, but you do have a money-making opportunity that you're just leaving on the table if you're not hosting on Airbnb. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. By hosting your space, you are monetizing what you already own. It doesn't get easier than that. For me, hosting on Airbnb has always been a no-brainer. When I first signed up, I remember thinking to myself, self, you pay a lot of money for your house. It is time that house returned the favor. And to get real with you for a sec, I felt so much guilt before treating myself on vacation because traveling can be so expensive. But since hosting on Airbnb, I feel zero stress for treating myself to a much needed vacation because having Airbnb guests stay at my house when I'm traveling helps offset the cost of my travel. So it's such a win-win. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Do you ever get FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, do you ever get FOMO Tupita, fear of missing out on the perfect hire? If so, I have the antidote. It's LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites, and that adds up to a serious squad of awesome candidates. LinkedIn has over a billion professionals on the platform, and these candidates are super qualified. So much so that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. I work with LinkedIn Jobs for all of my dream team needs, so they're hooking up money rehabbers at linkedin.com slash MNN. Go there and you can post your job for free. That's linkedin.com slash MNN, as in Money News Network, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now for some more money rehab. You didn't mention crypto, of course, in your options for hedging this uncertainty. You describe crypto as dangerous, that it represents a failure of faith in the government and a threat to order because it funds terrorism and is used for money laundering and other criminal activities. Can you first talk about how crypto is dangerous from a broad civil society lens? Well, first of all, these cryptocurrencies are not currencies. Anybody who knows anything about money knows they're not a unit of account, not a scalable means of payment. They're not a stable store of value. They're not really money. Two, most of crypto is a scam. Out of the 20,000 ICOs, 80% of them were a scam in the first place. 17% of them have already lost 100% of their value. So 19,000 
and 300 out of 20,000 were a scam. And what did they use the money? To buy Lamborghinis, to buy boats, to buy planes, to buy villas, to go to Puerto Rico or other offshore financial center, even to pay for prostitution as you know, strip clubs in Miami having bills of millions of dollars from these crypto guys. This is what the money was used, just a scam. Most of them were scammer. SBF is not the exception, is the rule, literally. 99% of crypto is crooks, criminals, conmen, carnival barkers, and assorted scammers and criminal. That's the reality. And whoever bought Bitcoin in the last year at 69, now is at 16, lost 80% of their value. Same thing for Ethereum. The other top 10 lost 90% of their value. The other shit coins lost 99% of their value. So if you want to gamble, go to Las Vegas. You have a great time. Go Atlantic City, but losing your money. Madoff at the Ponzi scheme, a few thousand people lost their savings. FTX alone was 1 million customer. In the US today, there are 40 million Americans who hold some crypto. And 99% of them bought at the peak, not when Bitcoin was 100. They bought a year ago when it was a bubble and there was FOMO and everybody was getting into it. They bought at the peak when the whale sold into them and now they lost 80%. So stay away from crypto. It's the biggest scam, it's the biggest fraud, and it's the biggest bubble in human financial history. There is nothing equivalent to it. Just stay away from it. I have long said that. Uh, why do you think there was this huge crypto craze? Did people just want to get rich quick? Listen, we live in a world in which millennials, Gen X, Gen Zs were shafted. Were shafted because of the global financial crisis. Those who graduated then didn't have good jobs. And now with COVID. And many people in this society where there is rising income and wealth inequality, economic malaise, New generation gonna do less well than their parents. They're hopeless, they're helpless, they're skillless, they're jobless, they're restless. So they think that you can become rich overnight. And that's impossible for one person to be rich overnight. As you well know, to do well in life, you have to study hard. Something's gonna give you a stable job. Work hard, long hours, save money, not live from paycheck to paycheck. People say, I cannot afford it, not true. You don't need 10 t-shirts or pieces of apparel. You can have five of them. You can save. And you save in a diversified portfolio of global equities and some bonds. And you save year after year. You don't gamble. You don't day trade. And hopefully when you retire, you're going to have enough buffer to supplement a shrinking social security check. That's the way you are financial and income stable. But unfortunately, people feel hopeless. They don't have jobs, they don't have skills, they feel left behind. They think that if you gamble in crypto or meme stock or SPACs or day trading or Robinhood, they're gonna become rich. Not only they don't become rich, 99% lose their shirt. Yes, you have not minced words whatsoever about your feelings uh, on crypto. You call it manipulative Ponzi scheme. Also, you envision though AI as the high-tech financial innovation that will solve a lot of the problems that crypto claim to solve, right? How do you envision that in the future? Well, AI applied to finance, the future of finance is not crypto, it's not blockchain, is fintech. Fintech has nothing to do with crypto and blockchain. It's all centralized, it's a different type of approach. 
So the future of money and finance is that one, not crypto. Of course, AI applied not only to finance, but applied to pretty much every sector, every good and service can increase productivity, can increase economic growth. The problem with AI is that it is uh, leading to some technological unemployment is permanent. Initial routine jobs that are blue collar, then cognitive jobs that can be automated that are white collar. Eventually, even creative jobs from creating music or writing a piece of financial reporting to even being a Fed watcher, eventually the machine is gonna do it better. So we're gonna have massive permanent technological unemployment Okay, so humanity's over soon. All apocalypses are coming. When are we going to get to the positive part of the subtitle of how to survive all of this, Dr. Realist? If you are a young person and you're asking yourself, how don't I become obsolete? What should I study? I would say you should major in something related to STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, computer science, and then minor in some liberal arts because if you're going to have to change jobs every few years, of course, you have to think well, critically, read well, write well. Some combination of those more technical skills and more general intelligence skills are going to be necessary. You have to learn all your life. You have to retrain yourself. It's not enough to go to college or grad school. You have to always be one step ahead to make sure that technology doesn't make you obsolete. There's no easy way of making money. Study hard, work hard, retrain yourself, save, invest, diversify, and be patient rather than trying to think that you'll be make a quick buck by, by doing something else. Embrace yourself for the apocalypse. Hope for the best and prepare for the worst by making sure that you're not going to be swept away by all these mega threats. There are things you can do individually, as I said, what you study, your savings behavior, your investment behavior. And of course, many of these problems are collective, uh, cannot be resolved only individually. So young people have to be really organized, social groups, politically, to deal with climate change, with pandemic, with financial instability, to have more long-term policies. So you have to collectively also resolve these problems because many of them cannot be resolved at the individual level. We have to care about other people because we are going to either swim or sink together. We're on the same boat. Yes, we are. Thank you so much. Thank you. So as I mentioned to Nouriel, this conversation was depressing at times. And it's my goal to make finance something that doesn't bum you out. However, first and foremost, I have to be honest. And the economy is not sunshine and rainbows all the time. And even though Nouriel could tone it down a bit, I think in general, he does have it right when he says, hope for the best, but expect the worst. He definitely has the expect the worst part covered, and now the hope is up to us. So as I mentioned to Nouriel, this conversation was depressing at times, and it's my goal to make finance something that doesn't bum you out. However, first and foremost, I have to be honest, and the economy is not sunshine and rainbows all the time. So even though Nouriel could tone it down a bit, I think in general, he does have it right when he says hope for the best, but expect the worst. He definitely has the expect the worst part covered. And now the hope is up to us. 
Today's tip you can take straight to the bank is literal. Noriel and I both agree that tips, which are treasury inflation protected securities, are a smart investing choice right now. Even though the Fed is working on curbing inflation and aims to lower it this year, investing in tips will help you hedge against the chance that inflation is hard to shake. Money Rehab is a production of Money News Network. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoy. Do you need some money rehab? And let's be honest, we all do. So email us your money questions at moneyrehab at moneynewsnetwork.com to have your question answered on the show or even have a one-on-one intervention with me. And follow us on Instagram at moneynews and TikTok at moneynewsnetwork for exclusive video content. And lastly, thank you. Seriously, thank you for listening and investing in yourself, which is the most important investment you can make.